thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I'm going to read two verses in your hearing this morning as our text out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Follow along with me. In verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled Conformed or Transformed because one of these things is happening. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, God. I pray that now, Lord, that you would let me decrease so you could increase anoint me God to say the things that you would have me to say teach us from your word God I pray Lord that you would give us wisdom today that you would impart truth into our inner man father I pray Lord for every true believer in this room this morning that you would give us a passion to love you more God I pray for those who are yet unsaved God that you reveal yourself to them by your love by your grace and by your mercy thank you for salvation thank you for healing Thank you for fellowship in your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Conformed or transformed? We talk a lot about transformation at Abundant Life because I see transformation as one of the central themes of God's plan throughout the entire Bible. God is interested in change. Say change. It's funny that God is interested in change, and we love change so much, right? No, we don't. We resist change. Human beings are change-resistant, and I found out, I knew it because I had heard it. I knew it by being taught it, but I'm finding out now experientially, the older you get, the harder change can be. We are set in our ways. We get in our comfort zone. We get in our groove. We find our rhythm of life, and we resist change, but God is into change. Say change. God wants to change so much. Listen, why? Because so much is messed up. God wants to change so many different things because so many different things are wrong. If you come at life thinking that everything is fine and dandy like hard rock candy, not only are you going to be sadly disappointed, but you're going to be missing out on God's viewpoint of the earth. God realizes that the earth is in trouble and needs his son. Can we agree on that? God realizes that the earth is in trouble and that we need change. Can we agree on that? You're either going to be conformed or you're going to be Transform. Listen, one of these things happens with no effort, and the other one only happens with maximum effort. You, a lot of people think that they're just like in neutral. A lot of people think, well, I'm not really growing in my faith with Christ, but I'm not really declining either. I'm just kind of plateaued. I'm just kind of staying where I'm at. That is a falsehood. That is impossible. Biblically speaking, you are either advancing or declining. You are either being conformed or you're being transformed. There is no middle ground for the believer because Jesus said that the middle ground is not a place that there can be. You've got to be doing one or the other. And I hope that you've read through some of the book of Romans. If you've read through the first 11 chapters, you've seen some amazing things. Let's look at our verse 1. This morning, as I teach through these two verses, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Stop on that. We always want to pause on punctuation. It'll help you understand. Take the Bible in bite-sized bits. 
I beseech you. Other versions say, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is pleading with a group of people that he identifies in the next word, brethren. Now, I told you we need to have principles and keys that we utilize in our study of the Scripture to help us understand Scripture more plainly. There are easy things to pick up on that will enlighten your study of the Word of God. When the Bible says we and us, it's usually talking about what type of people? Christians. If it says they and them, it's usually talking about non-Christians. If it says brethren, it's usually talking about what type of people? Christians. Okay, so here God, through the Apostle Paul, is urging Christians to do something. I want you to understand today, the hope of the world is not in the government getting better. It's in Christians doing what God called them to do. The hope of the world is not in the liquor maker stopping making liquor, the pornography maker stop making pornography, or the dope dealer to stop doping deals. Amen. The hope of the world is that God's people would get right with God. Christians need to rise up to the name that they claim. God never said that if the world would get right, that he would bring a blessing. God said if his people would get right, that he would do the miraculous. And here we see in verse 1 of our text, God through his apostle begging, urging, pleading with the believers. Now, here's one of the cool things I love about the Bible. God took these words that were written by 39 different men from Genesis to Revelation. God took these letters, these books, these words that he inspired 39 different men to write to people back then for their specific situation. Paul's addressing the Christians at Rome. This, was, this is 2,000-year-old writing. But because it's Bible, because it's holy, because it's a living word, God not only inspired him to write it to their situation then, but he superintended and imposed upon it that it would be holy revelatory scripture for us 2,000 years later. That's incredible. If you write a letter 20 years ago to somebody about a specific need that applies to everybody in your family 20 years later, that's a cool letter. But it ain't as cool as the Bible. God is talking specifically to the Christians at Rome here through the Apostle Paul, but he's superintending that it would be Holy Scripture for us 2,000 years later. So that brethren includes us. Say us. God is urging us. God is pleading with us. God is begging us to do something. And here's what I want you to get if you don't get anything else. Stop waiting on God to do something. The majority of Christians I know are waiting on God to do something. Well, I'm just waiting on God to blah, 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 blah. Well, what are you doing in the meantime? See, if you really want to say, well, the Bible says wait on the Lord, but that word wait means to attend to at a high level, to be wrapped up in, to serve in your process, not just sit back. Don't sit back and just wait on God to do what's next. He's given us instruction to do stuff. Can anybody say amen? There's things that we need to do. And God shows us in this verse one of the things or some of the things that we need to do. And he's not only recommending them, he's not only commanding them, he's already done those things. He's urging us at this point by the mercies of God to even a higher level. Paul says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. And then he puts this on him. By the mercies of 
God, which literally means because of all he's done. Hear how it reads in the New Living Translation, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because of all he has done for you. Period. Stop on that. So here's this urging. Here's this begging. Here's this pleading that we as believers would do something. What is that something? Give our body. Say give. Give our body to God. Why? Because of all he has done for you. If I started this morning with Brother Jim and I just went all the way around the room and I said, I want you to give me five things right now that God's done for you in your life. You realize some people would flinch, hesitate, and clam up? Not just because of their introversion. Now, some painful introverts, they'd, just, they'd leave. You know, they'd be faking a bathroom trip and taking their keys to the car. But you should be able to have in your mind that God has done great things. This is the battle cry of the saints throughout all ages. He hath done great things. And because of all that God has done, not for the church, not for the world, not for mama in them, not for ages gone by, not for them back there, but for you. All that God has done for you, you should have a response. If I ask you right now, has God done anything for you, any good thing for you, people would say amen. People get religious and they'd start making up all types of you know, cliche things, and they'd start using Christianese, and they'd start speaking in churchy terms. I just hope that deep on the inside of you, past all that garbage and foolishness and fakery, that you really know that God has changed you, God has done something good for you, that God is worth loving, that God is worth praising, that God is better than no God. That's nine people. Hallelujah. I'll preach to y'all. Everybody else catch up. This is the Christians anyway. Amen. So if you ain't saved, if you ain't all the way there, this ain't really for you know how. Listen, if you ain't in this camp, get in this camp. Get in the camp. All you got to do is believe in Jesus and God will take care of your camp for you. But he's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to do something because of all that God has done for you. Now, think about if you've been reading the book of Romans just through these first 11 chapters. Paul has been reminding, teaching, and instructing the Christians at Rome about some of the things that God has done. He's already told them about some of the incredible things that God has done for you. He's talked about justification. He's talked about adoption with Jesus, identification with Christ. He's talked about the fact that because of God's love, we're under grace and not the law. He's taught the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's talked about God comforting us in all of our affliction. He's talked about God electing us. Listen, God chose you before you had a chance to mess it up. Is this thing on? You didn't, have to, you didn't even have to make it through the interview. You didn't even have to spell everything right on your resume. You didn't even have to have a one-page. Listen, throw that nine-page resume away. You didn't even have to have a God-made choice. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Paul has told these people all these cool stuff. And he's told them that, that you're never going to be separated from God. That God works everything for good. And God has got a plan for your life. He's told them great things in these first 11 chapters. And now he comes and says, because of everything that God's already done for you, you need to have a response. There's too many people not responding. There's too many people not responding. And that makes me wonder, are they really saved? Okay, let's say that they are. Well, what's the problem then? Why, how can you, see, because to, to be saved, 
means that you've had an experience with God. Being saved has nothing to do with going to church. Being saved has nothing to do with joining churches. Being saved has nothing to do with showing up on Sunday morning, bringing the right Bible, saying amen, putting money in the bucket. None of that is what salvation is about. Salvation is about having a real-life personal encounter with the Holy Spirit of God that changes you from the inside out because you believe that the book is telling the truth when it says he lived, he died, he was buried, and rose again the third day. This is what salvation is about. And when you truly get saved, God says his spirit comes to live on the inside of you. So you ought to already know he's done some cool stuff for me. You ought to already be in the mindset that, man, God has done more for me than I could deserve. God has done more for me than I could ask. I don't understand people who don't get that. I've been through suffering in my life. I've, I've been through loss in my life. I've been through tragedy in my life. But I've been able to say at every point and at every turn, God's been better to me than I deserve. God's done more for me than I ever will expect of him. God, if God never did another thing for me, he did enough for me at Calvary. And God comes and says, because of everything that God has done for you, you should give your bodies to God. And I want you to think about this concept of giving your body to God. See, because we are, based on whose theology you follow, if you follow the Bible's theology, we are a trichotomy. How many parts do you think are in a trichotomy? Think tricycle. Three, we are body, soul, and spirit. More specifically, we are a spiritual being that has a soul that lives inside a body. So if you give your body to God, the spirit and the soul come with it. This is the understanding that the Greeks had. And the Greeks thought that the body was unspiritual and God was not concerned with it. So it was shocking for them to hear that Paul was saying to give your body. He's talking about your everything. Say everything. He wants you to give your everything. When we give our bodies to God, everything we have, our soul, our spirit, our mind, emotion, and will, it all goes with it. Because when God said present your bodies, see, a lot of people just present their work to the Lord. Well, I serve the Lord strong. A lot of people just present their praise to the Lord. Well, I praise and worship God. I like to sing. A lot of people just present their intellect to the Lord. Well, I I study a lot. Listen, God wants your everything. God did not send his son to die on the cross so we could just have church on Sunday and Wednesday. God didn't give his everything for us so that we could give our some stuff to him. When he says present your body as a living sacrifice, he's talking about giving your all. Now, people in the first century when this was written 2,000 years ago, both Jews and pagans understood sacrifice. That was a wild thing. I mean, they used to carve up animals on the regular, throw them on the fire, and, and say that's a sacrifice to God. God prescribed that. They weren't the only ones doing it. Pagans were doing it to their false gods by the thousands of animals. Imagine what a city like that must stink. Whoo! I mean, come on now. You got dogs in your house. I'm going to tell you something real quick. Your house got a smell to it. Oh, not me. I use Febreze, Reverend. Okay, go ahead. Keep thinking that. Listen, these cities had thousands and thousands and thousands of animals in it because they were constantly cutting them up and sacrificing them to Jehovah or to a false god. Now, you put that out, all those animals in one close place, it's going to be funky. Guess what animals do? Do. Let me keep moving. Not only that, they would put these animals, fur and all, on the grill and let open flame hit it. 
Oh, right, Jeff? That's just like, oh, man, that make your nose curl up just thinking about it. They were used to sacrifice. They understood sacrifice. But when Paul begs them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, that was not only shocking to them because it was them and not an animal, but because of the word living. Say living. It was shocking because he is telling them to bring a sacrifice to the altar that's alive. That's not typical. Listen, go ahead and try to throw a dog up. Well, don't do you go to jail forever. You go to jail longer killing a dog than you would killing me. Listen, don't don't do this, but imagine if throw throw a chicken up on the grill alive. Guess what? He will jump off. He's gonna run off. Throw any animal. This, Paul is saying to put your body on this altar of fire. Think grill with flames licking up under it, alive. So it's a whole different thing. It's like, well, you don't bring living things to sacrifice. You bring dead things to sacrifice. Well, here's the reality. That was then. This is now. They were looking for dead sacrifice, but now God is looking for what? A living sacrifice. God is looking for you to sacrifice while you're alive. I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again, that I believe, my thought personally, it's easy to die for God. It's easy. To, I could take a bullet for God. If somebody said, if, if the, my old pastor, he used to say this all the time, if the masked men came in today and said, said anybody that really believes in Jesus, stand up and we're going to shoot you. That'd be easy. I mean, that's, that's a ticket home anyway, right? You ain't got to pay rent next month. Jay, you ain't got nothing on you. But that's easy to die for God. Most real Christians would be like, I die for God today. I jump out in front of a bus and God told me to. I, but listen, God is not telling you to do those things. What he is telling you to do is to live for him, and that's harder than dying for him. To daily get up and do what he says, listen, dying is final. Living drags on. Dying is, it, it, it's done. Living continues. And they were shocked when he said to bring a living sacrifice. I want you to know if you're here and you're saved, you've probably thought about dying and going to heaven. You've probably thought about one day God's going to take you out of this mess. You've probably thought about the fact that life's not going to last forever and one day heaven's going to be your home. That's all great and wonderful, and that's the hope of the church. But listen, in the meantime and in the between time, we got to live for him. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it goes beyond ideology, philosophy, and theology, and it comes into practical living. You can talk about living for God. You can talk about loving for God. You can call yourself saved, sanctified, fire baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost, or you can call yourself born again. You can call yourself a believer, but can you really live for God? What does that look like in your life? What does that fleshing that out look like in your life? What could you point to? over the last couple of days, weeks, months, years in your life that says, that's me living for God. That is me proving out my faith. They were shocked because God was calling for a living sacrifice, but they were also shocked because he was saying that it stays on the altar. The verb tense in the Greek of presenting was a continual tense that you keep putting yourself on this altar. Well, that sounds painful to me. Anybody? That doesn't sound enjoyable. I want to tell you something. Living for God can be very painful. Stop believing these liars on TV, quoting some random, you know, chapter 39, verse 11. If you send $39.11 right now, God's going to fix all your... That's not going to happen. 
Bible says tribulation is going to be with you always, and as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have trouble. There's, like, there's going to be difficulties, ebb and flow of life, up and down. There's going to be good days, bad days, happy days, sad days. But in them all, God expects you to keep burning. In them all, God expects you to get up every day and position yourself on top of the altar. You got to put in your mind, this is me climbing off my chair. This is me getting out of my comfort zone. This is me getting out of the ease and please of life and climbing up into a hot spot of difficulty because I love him and he's done too much for me not to. So you know you'll be growing with God. You'll know God really is getting to you when you constantly are reminded with he's done too much for me for me to give up now. He's done too much for me for me to quit now. They were shocked about it being a living sacrifice and they were shocked because it stays alive on the altar. Think about it. Nothing in the natural stays alive on the altar. You put anything on the altar, you burn it long enough, it's going to die. But the sacrifice that God is looking for for us between now and the time we get to heaven is a continual, present tense, living sacrifice. Is it going to be uncomfortable? At times it's going to be uncomfortable. Is it going to be difficult? At times it's going to be difficult. Is it going to stink? At times it's going to stink. Is it going to be painful? At times it's going to be painful, but it's what God asks. If you love somebody and you want to do something for them, if you want to buy somebody a present, you ought to give them what they want. This is what God wants. He wants us to every day get up on the altar of sacrifice. Every day be willing to die to our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and our agenda and say, God, for you I live, for you I die. I get on this altar, and I will let you do to me whatever. See, fire in the Bible represents purification fire in the bible is used to burn off impurities and one of the things god wants you to do one of the reasons god wants us to be on that altar is so he can burn off things that shouldn't be on us to begin with god wants to see what the first thing that burns up when you throw something throw that big steak on there first thing that's going to sizzle and crisp up is the fat a lot of fat on christians in america today a lot of flesh a lot of flesh on christians in america today why because we live a lower standard of morality than any group of human beings have ever lived since the cross. We live less connected to the cross than any group of people that have ever claimed the name of Christ. If you talk to Christians around the world, if you read about Christians around the world, they pray more, they study more, they hold on to God more, they see more miracles, they see more signs, more wonders. Why? Because they're not watching two hours of BET. Don't act holy on me. I know what you do. They, 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 they're, they're not getting drunk three nights a week. Y'all going to act like we're, we're talking about other people. Oh, oh, not in our church, Pastor. Listen, American Christians have allowed their morality to sink so low. There's almost no difference between us and the world, whether it's divorce rate, alcoholism, pornography, whatever. You can almost see no difference. So many preachers have been saying it for years. It was true then. It's still true now. God intended for us to go out into the world and change the world. But in the name of building bigger buildings and housing more members, churches have allowed the world to come into the church and change the church. Now, instead of the church being salty and having an impact flavoring the world, Jesus said we're salt and we're light. We're supposed to flavor the world for Christ and brighten the world for Christ. The problem is churches have just let anything go let anybody come in and claim the name of Christ, live any kind of way they want to, set no standard, set no morality, set no holiness. So now the church looks more like the world than it ever has. 
You don't believe me? Think about your grandmama who was saved. And then ask her to sit and watch the TV that the people in this room sit and watch. She wouldn't do it. Think about your granddaddy who was a Christian and the, the faith that he practiced, the calluses that were on his knees from his sweet hour of prayer, and then try to find five people that have a sweet hour of prayer in this generation. It's a different world. It's a different world. We need to remember that God has done great things, and we need to determine will we really live for him. It is a process, a process that takes work. It's a process that takes work. If you really want God to move in your life, it can't just be about confessing the right things. That, that's what this generation wants. They, they want to live any kind of way they want to live and then stand up and look in the mirror and tell themselves, I am somebody and God lives in me. I am powerful and I am beautiful and all that. Listen, you're still fat and you still got zits. And your nose don't fit your face. You mad at me? Don't be mad at me. Just tell the truth. It's not about just the words you can say. There's some action that has to take place here. And God says that part of this action is for us to give our bodies. Too many people wait on God to do something. God said there's some things that we have to do. This is something that you have to make choice of. And there are less people choosing this now, claiming the name of Christ, than ever. People want to do what I call both. People want to live both. People want to live in the church and in the world. People want to be saved but still funky. People want to be saved but still freaky. People want to be saved but do what they want to do. That's not what God is looking for. That's not what God is asking for. He goes on. Listen, listen to what God says about sacrifices in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 15, 21, God said if there's a defect in it, if it's lame or blind, or if it has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. All right, now let's just think about it. This was Old Testament. This was animals coming. And here's how people want to do. You want to give something away? The church says, I need everybody to, we're going to outfit some kitchens for some families in need. I need you to bring some pots and pans and dishes. Average person going to look for the junk they don't use, the stuff that they don't like, and bring that. Am I right? Deep Holy Ghost Christians going to take their favorite stuff, the stuff that they feel best about, and they're going to bring that. Am I right? We don't know yet because we ain't got to that point. All right, let's keep moving. People want to pawn off on charity their junk. That's not just in the church. Goodwill every year talks about the millions, millions. Right here in North Florida, Goodwill spends millions of dollars every year paying to haul off garbage people dump off at their site overnight. Stuff they can't even sell for a quarter. Stuff they couldn't get a nickel for. Stuff people are like, I'm going to donate all this stuff and get a write-off. It's garbage to begin with. You shouldn't give away garbage. You shouldn't offer God. God's saying if it's got something wrong with it, and people try to do the same thing in the Old Testament. The priests say you got to bring uh, two, two goats and a lamb, and they, you know, let me find the scraggliest things I can get rid of. I'm going to take these two and this. Well, take one good one in case he's looking good. Listen, God said don't bring it if it's got a defect in it, if it's lame or blind. God's not looking for your leftovers. God's looking for your best. Say best. You shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Okay, so that, that's God's standard. No defect, no blemish. 
can't be lame, can't be blind, can't be feeble. It's got to be good through and through. But God says we're that. You missed it. God says you're the sacrifice that he wants. So listen, I want to tell you something. Obviously, if you've been reading the Bible at all, you know God for his children sees no stain on you. That's good news. God sees no shame on you. That's good news. God sees no blame on you. That's good news. Why? Because when God looks at his children, he sees them through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is great news. Somebody ought to say amen. So we are positionally from God's mindset, defectless. We are not lame. We are not blind. We are presentable to the Lord. And the Lord desires us to be his sacrifice. In Leviticus 1.9, the Bible says that an offering made by fire is a sweet aroma to the Lord. I'll tell you something. God's ways are not our ways. If you want to please me, don't bottle up some perfume that smells like burning goat and think I'm going to enjoy it. God likes that smell. I don't like that smell. I haven't smelled it, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't like it. I, 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 haven't, I haven't tried it, but I don't need it. Listen, if you got to try everything to know you don't like it, you need mental help. I don't have to try a nine-day crack binge to know that just ain't for me. I mean, I'm just smarter than the average bear. But God said he likes the way burnt sacrifice smells to him. If you love the Lord, you ought to give him what he's asking you to give him. And he wants you to be on fire. Not metaphorically, I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm pumped up. I'm jazzed up. I'm hyped. No, literally burning, dying, perpetually letting things die off in your life, perpetually sacrificing yourself, perpetually putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation outside your comfort zone to the honor and to the glory of God. Present your body a living sacrifice. It, it says that it's, it's acceptable to God. One, one version says it's your reasonable service. It's the very least we can do. I've told you many times, if he loved you enough to die for you, shouldn't you love him enough to live for him? If he gave you his everything, shouldn't you be willing to give him at least your something? Too many people not doing anything, waiting on God to do the next thing. Let's look at verse 2 and get out of here. Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So here we see this contrast. Here we see this process that is happening in the life of every person on the planet. You are either being conformed to this world or you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I told you a moment ago that one of these happens with no effort. Conf being conformed takes no effort at all just by nature of being here. Association brings assimilation. Just by being around the world, you're going to become like the world. Just by being around people of the world, that's going to rub off on us. Just by, well, Reverend, I'm, I got to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, don't, don't twist Bible for your, your sinfulness. God says to rise above all these standards. Your, your lack of holiness is never going to have an excuse biblically. God says do not be conformed to this world. Now, when it talks about this world, uh, most theologians agree it's talking about a system. Say system. It's talking about a world system that involves pop culture, a way of thinking, a mindset, 
a, a desire for things outside of God. It is anti-Christian at its root. It is a culture steeped in rebellion against God. It, it's, it's the world creeping in to your life, trying to get you to accept its ungodly pattern. And I want you to hear me. This process must be resisted. It must be resisted. It must be battled against. It must be fought against. You can't take a little bit of the world and expect it not to affect you. Too many Christians, and if you be honest with yourself, you know that it's not just them, it's us, and it's you mess around and try to dip a toe into the world and think, well, I'm not going to go all the way crazy. I'm just going you know, to watch a little bit of this. People tell, Passion, I was just flipping through channels the other day. I know what you mean. You, you was locked down on that channel all night long. I was flipping through channels the other day, and I, I, happened, I can't believe what I saw on TV. I can't believe you watched it for an hour and a half. We just want to act like we want to just take a peek. We want to take a taste. We want to just get a sip. We want to just get a little dab to do us. Listen, this is pretty decent water. Probably ain't no better than tap water, but, you know, it makes us feel good because it's in a bottle. Look up bottled water, you'll find out. I'm drinking this, but if you put a little drop of sewage in it, I'm not drinking it no more. Why? Because a little leaven leaven the whole lump, that's Bible. A little bit of poop water in that makes it no more good for me. I'll give it to you. A <laughs> little bit of sewage in that bottle, I can't use none of it. Well, it only got one drop, Reverend. I can't use none of it. Why? Because it's contaminated. You know what's wrong? With Abundant Life Christian Fellowship and churches across this world, we're contaminated. You know why we don't see the power and the presence of God fall every time we walk in here? You know why we're not struck to the floor with the awesome awe of God's divine holiness every time we walk in? Because we're contaminated. Because we bring pollution with us when we come in. The Hebrews lived in isolationist world. They lived a separatist world. They lived a world outside of what was going on around them. American Christians, nah, we're just part of the deal. Dress like the world, act like the world, look like the world, listen to what they listen to, watch what they watch, stand in line to go to the same places they go to, pay hard money to watch them curse God on big 40-foot screens. We have embraced the world so much, we come into church smelling to God like the world. See, in the Hebrew culture, that wasn't it. I've taught, I've taught you before. You weren't allowed to come in unless you got by the door checker or the gatekeeper. And, you know, the Bible says, David said he'd rather be the gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in mansions with feasting. Well, I don't know. David was a little off because I don't want to be the gatekeeper in nobody's house. In, in the Old Testament, in the temple, if they didn't know you, they only let Hebrews, even to this day. I told y'all when I was in L.A. years ago, I saw a, a whole bunch of Hebrew men. They had the hats, the beards, the tassels, everything. And I asked them where their temple was. They told me, you can't go there. I said, why not? They said, this church is for people like you up the street. They classed me out, people like me. I'm like, who are you talking to? People like me. It's a us and them? Yeah, it's a us and them. And I was not allowed in their temple. Why? Because they know I don't believe everything they believe, and I would bring pollution into their service. They've been doing that from day one. The gate checker, they didn't know you. You move into a new village. You claim to be a covenant believer. You claim to be Hebrew follower of Jehovah God. 
They got a doorkeeper. They got a gatekeeper. They got a door checker. Lift up your skirt, dude. I need to see the covenant. I need to see your circumcision because they didn't let uncircumcised people come into their worship. Why? Because they knew you bring that in, you're going to dumb down our worship. You're not going to worship with us. You think we got people in this room? Listen, I'll tell you, you don't have to think about it. We got people in this room that are saved that came to worship today. We also got people in this room that aren't saved, and while Christians were trying to worship, they were dulling down the spirit. They were bringing down. They were polluting the worship. You say, well, you don't want me in here polluting your worship? I won't ever come back. Listen, I'm not asking you to leave. I'm asking you to get saved, join the party, so you're not dumbing down our worship. In the Old Testament, you couldn't, a, a man who, the Bible says, that it's not permitted for a bastard to enter into the congregation. They wouldn't let a man come. If you didn't know who your father was in the Old Testament, they would not allow you to be a member of their church. Why? Because they felt like you didn't understand family and you ain't going to marry one of our daughters coming up in here like that. And you don't understand what it means to be a good father. You're not going to produce children with my daughter and you don't know how to be a good father. You didn't have a father teach you how to be a good father. We just won't let you in. Well, Pastor, that don't sound warm and fuzzy. That don't sound inclusive. That don't sound broad, open-minded, intolerant. It ain't. It's one way. It's limited. It's separate. That's why God said, be separate and come out from among them. Listen, not only that, I'll give you one more and then I'll let you go. The Bible says, if a man has been wounded in his stones, he's not allowed to enter into the congregation. Now, there's young people in here and girls, so I don't want to be, get too graphic about where a man's stones are. Tell you what, you swing like that, every guy in the world will protect his stones. If a man went off to war for his country, and got wounded in his stones, could not produce children anymore. He couldn't come into church no more. Why? You got a defect in you, son. We're not letting you in here with our worship. We're not letting in you in. People are like, seriously? Why would anybody serve a God like that? Well, I can give you a thousand reasons, but I'll just give you one, because he's the only one there is to choose from. There is no other God. And God has standards. God has required. They didn't want that dude coming into church, their daughter falling in love with them. They can't get no grandbabies. You're like, well, why are grandbabies so important? Well, I can ask a grandparent. I don't know. What do I look like? It was about family, and it was about protecting what they had. It was about keeping pure what they had. The church has lost that. In the last 70 years, the church has lost that. Seventy years ago, there was so much holiness being preached from the pulpit. Unsaved people didn't want to come. Unsaved people felt like a cat on a hot tin roof. Unsaved people come to church 70 years ago, they felt like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That, I mean, that, you used to hear people say, man, I was sweating like a whore in church. Whores lead worship in church. Now they don't sweat on because the light's shining on them. Y'all not saying nothing to me, but I'm telling the truth. That generation is gone. People come to church now feel no conviction. People come to church now, they don't feel different. Now, I'm not saying that unsaved people should not want to come to church. Unsaved people should want to come to church. But when they come into church, they ought to know, these people are different than me. I don't know if I can fit in with this crowd of worshiping, smiling, happy, friendly, God-loving folk. I don't know if I can fit in with these people. They put money in the bucket when it gets passed. I don't know if I can. Listen. There should be a difference between saved people and unsaved people. And our job is to go out into all the world and take Christ to them. But what we've done is we've opened the doors to the church. 
And we let the world come in and change us. Listen, I want everybody to come to abundant life. Hookers, whores, pimps, prostitutes, drug dealers, felons, ex-felons, current felons, everybody. I just don't want you to stay that way. I want you to get saved so our, so our worship can rise higher. I want you to get saved so our unity can rise higher. I want you to get saved and, and fully devoted to God so that our impact on this community can rise higher. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Guess where the battle is in the what? Mind. Guess where this war takes place between being conformed or being transformed? It's in your mind. If you are going to win this war that God has called you to win, you're going to have to get your mind right. And the only way to get your mind right is to change your way of thinking. You've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to get rid of The bad information that's been put in your head by yourself, by others, and this world system, by pastors, by religious leaders, by church members, you got to flush all that out. And some people are unwilling to let it go. Well, you don't know what the last pastor did to me. Well, you don't know what I went through in the last. Let it go. Well, I was in a church that taught me wrong. Let it go. Well, I'm not sure if you're teaching me right. Get in the book and find out. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There is an option here. There's a choice to make here. There is a difference between being conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to how that reads in the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Listen, church member, Christian, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I'm going to tell you something. We're not doing good on that test. We are not doing good on that test. There should be a marked difference. I'm not saying, I mean, I grew up in a church when, when, when I, and I couldn't stand it. And I knew they were off and I knew they were wrong. Every single man in that room dressed just like the preacher. The cookie cutter versions of them. Everybody that had glasses, they were only allowed to wear one style of glasses, black horn rim glasses. Every one of them had big black frame and giant lenses. They all had the same hairstyle. They all dressed the same. All the women dressed hair to the floor, dresses to the floor, no makeup. Listen, help yourself out, sister. Hey, old barn will look good with a fresh coat of paint on it. Some people say, preachers, it's a sin for women to wear makeup. It's a sin for most women not to. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. I look good natural. Keep believing that. I'm not talking about just the way we dress, just the way we style our hair, whether or not you wear makeup. But there ought to be a difference between you and lost folk. People on your job ought to know. People in your neighborhood ought to know. People in your family ought to know that you have been changed by the blood of the Lamb. There ought to be a difference in you. The Bible says that the real proof text of true conversion is a changed life the scripture says if you're really saved that you're different than you used to be old things passed away and all things become new God said don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you to a new person how by changing the way you think we need to change the way we think because we were all raised to think in a world system we were all raised to think 
by worldly people. We were all influenced by non-Christian thought processes. And that's why people say, well, they started it. Oh, they started it, so I finished it. Did you learn that from God or did you learn that from the world? I I, got to get me what? Mine. Or too far on the other side of the tracks, I got to get me mines. Or way off on the other side of the country tracks, I got to get me mines on. Either way you slice it, did you learn that from the church or the world? That's worldly thinking. I got to take care of number one. Ain't nobody else looking out for me. I got to look out for myself. I got to take care of me. If I ain't taking care of me, who's going to take care of me? All that you didn't learn from God. You learned from the world. And we need to change the way we think. Why? Because then, listen, abundant life people, you ought to know the answer. You ought to know the question I'm going to ask before I even ask it, and you certainly ought to know the answer. When is then? It's always after. Then is after. Say after. Then is after. After what? After you do what just been told you to do. You can't get to then until you do what was prescribed before because then only comes after. After you allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then and only then. After you do that, then you're going to learn God's will for you. And you're going to learn how good and pleasing and perfect that is. You don't really get what God wants from you. You don't really understand what God wants. You don't get this whole thing. It's not all lining up for you just right. You ain't got it all figured out. Just let You need to let God change the way you think. And the only way God's going to change the way you think is by you getting in this book. The only way God's going to change the way you think is by you fellowshipping with the people of God. The only way God is going to change the way you think is by you spending time alone with him. The Bible says as you look at his face, he changes you. As you stay in his presence, his very reflection changes you and takes you from one level of glory to another level of glory. God said don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. It just blows me away how many times I hear Christians talking about the worldly things they went to. You know, the Bible says it's a shame to speak of those things that don't reflect positively on God. It's a shame to even speak of them. Not in today's church. Oh, girl, I was at the club last night and it was bumping. What? You said that in church and you got no shame on that? Oh, bro, man, I, I, was watching the, I was watching the VH1 Awards last night, and this chick was bang. She came out, boom. What? You got no shame in all that lust and all that fleshly talk? You have no shame in, in being influenced by the custom and the behaviors of the world? You're so worldly. Well, I don't want to be too heavenly-minded, and I'm no earthly good. There is not one human being on the planet that fits that description. Stop believing that. Well, I got a cousin. She's just so religious. She's just so heavenly minded. She's no earthly good. That's not true. Well, she's just a little too holier than now for me. No, she's holier than you, and it bothers you. We're so far away from holier than anything in 2016. We're so far away from heavenly minded. We're not there. As a nation, we're not there. As a group, we're not there. As a church, we're not there. As individuals, we're not there. And that's why people aren't excited about God's plan for their life. That's why people aren't excited about fleshing out what pleases God, what's good according to what God says. Why? Because we watch and we idolize and we magnify the world. We exalt and we lift up the world. Listen, don't change your Facebook. And I ain't mad at you. I got problems in my own life. I ain't judging you. I'm just here to tell the truth. I've seen so much 
glorification of Prince on Facebook this week, I'm sure God is vomiting in heaven. Why is God vomiting in heaven? Because God said he'd rather you be hot or cold. Because if you ain't either one of those, he said he'd make me vomit you right out of his mouth. Listen, but I love Prince. You don't understand, Pastor, I'm a musician, and Prince was gifted. Prince was iconic. Prince was talented. Prince was a game changer. As a musician, I just have to respect. No, you don't have to respect anything that looks like the world, sounds like the world, and smells like the world. You have been infected with something God didn't plan on you to be. Well, why you got to hate on Prince? I bet you cried when Michael Jackson died. No, I didn't. I bet you cried when Elvis died. No, I didn't. I bet. Listen, we need to stop making much out of celebrities and make more out of God. I never cared one way or the other about Princess Diana. I really didn't. I didn't have no thought about her. Why would I? I don't know her. You don't know her either. How are you loving her? That's a different message for a different crowd. But she died the same week Mother Teresa died. Papers were flooded up. The, the funeral broadcast on every channel across the world, Lady Di is dead. Oh, you mean the divorce chick that couldn't stay with the future king of England? She died. Oh, you mean the chick that died in the limo with, 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 with the two drunk dudes and her blood alcohol was, was at, at almost 2.0? She died and the whole world, the whole church world went in mourning over that? Why well, watch your funeral? It was touching. It was, did you watch Mother Teresa's funeral? No, you didn't. Why? It wasn't broadcast. You don't even know where it was. One lady gave her life to lavish living and died drunk. Fact. Another lady gave her life to serving hurting people and trying to help humanity. Fact. And which one did we glorify? The debauchery. Which one did we glorify? The one the world built up in our eyes. Which one did we cry over? The one the world said, oh, she's so awesome because you don't understand, Pastor. She was a commoner. She was, Listen, I ain't making much out of celebrity. I got one life to live, and so do you, and we need to learn how to make much out of God. You say, Pastor, why are you so hard? Don't you love sports? I love sports. I don't glorify any entertainer. You're not going to see me cry. I was out in L.A. last week. I went and saw my favorite player. I watched Paul Pierce on the row number one. Courtside, Staples Center, to see Paul Pierce play what might be his last home game. I'm not going to, if he, if he dies today, you're not going to see him on my Facebook. Oh, my heart is cut. I'm just bleeding for Paul. I don't know him like that. He don't know me like that. But the better question is, do we know God like that? Where is the love in God's people for God? Oh, I see it all the time on Facebook. We blow up celebrities. We blow up what the world is doing. We, we publicize what great movie is out. Did you catch that new song? It's hot. Whose new song? Are they singing from a transformed mind? Are they glorifying God? Or are they just part of this world's customs and behaviors that we're copying? Well, Pastor, I just can't be all holy all the time. Well, you better find a way to. Because the Bible says without holiness, nobody's going to see the Lord. There's a standard that's missing in the church today. And God says for us not to be copying the behaviors and the custom of this world. Listen, don't pattern your life after people who don't uplift the name of Jesus. Don't pattern your life after people who, who don't represent Christ. There's too many good Christians in the world to be your role model. 
There's too many good parents in the world to be your role model. I love me some Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley would tell the truth anyhow. That don't mean I agree. Don't text me something he said that you didn't like. Listen, I ain't going to cry when he dies. I don't know him like that. But when he came out and said, I am not a role model for your child, he got criticized by the, by the media. He is a role model. He makes all that money. He's on TV. He should take that responsibility seriously. No, he told the truth. Your parent should be the role model for you. And listen to me, sir, ma'am. You need to be the role model, not a role model. You need to be the role model for your child. One thing I love about church is we get to have other families around our children that can help model for them, but the role model for your child should be you. Not some worldly person they saw off TV. Not somebody that they're elevating people. And I've had people tell me this week, and I've stayed off Facebook just, just so it wouldn't be so contentious. But I've had people say, well, Prince was such a big part of my life. Uh, you know, it just changed me. His music changed. Really? You can sing nine Prince songs. Can you quote nine scripture? Did that change you at all? But I just loved him so much. Uh, it, it was just a part of my life back then, way back in the day. Well, alcohol was a part of my life way back then, back in the day. But God expects me to give that up. Weed, come on, potheads. How many weed was a part of your life at some point in your life? I appreciate Thank you, Jimmy, all these people. You don't want to know y'all. Just, listen, tell the truth in church. Weed used to be your friend. 420 day. But guess what? You come to Christ. You're supposed to give that up. Cussing folk out used to make you feel good. Cut you off in traffic. You roll that window down and let them know. I ain't the one. That's how I was back in the day. Well, God expects you to get rid of that. And God expects you to let go of all your heroes that don't represent Christ. God expects you to let go of all your iconic figures that are part of this world. Well, so-and-so sang a Christian song in her early days, so I know she's saved. What's she singing now? Well, Prince had this song about the cross. Listen, you can sing about a whole lot of stuff. The Bible says by your fruit you'll be known. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Would you like for that to be your confession? I ain't got God's love in me. Would you like that? You want to get that on a T-shirt and just wear that to work, wear that to school every day for the rest of your life? I don't have God's love in me. That is not the confession we should ascribe, desire to, aspire to. That is not the confession we should desire to have for us. We should want to have God's love in us. But he says, when you love the world or the things that the world offers you, but it's just such a big part of my life, Reverend, I don't know if I could let it go. You get on that altar, God will burn it off. Well, I've just been this way for so long, I don't know if I could change. Well, you get on that altar, God will burn it off. You start becoming a living sacrifice. You start saying, God, I really want to live for you. See, some people make a commitment to Christ only in preparation for their death. 
only because they want to make sure their eternity is taken care of, and I'm cool with that. If that's your motivation, good. Whatever it takes to get you saved, that's awesome. But once you get saved, you ought to be concerned about living for him. Your focus ought to get away from what's going to happen in eternity. You ought to settle that. The Bible says once you get salvation secure, you move on to deeper things than that. And some of these things are not being in love with the world. God said it's offensive to him to receive prayers from ungodly people. Do you know the Bible says that the prayer of the unjust is an abomination to the Lord? People think, well, God don't want to hear their prayers? No. Well, why? They're trying. Listen, God is so holy, he won't just take anything we throw at him. You see some worldly person who sings, glorifies the world, lives the world, brags about his street cred for the world, gets up there and talks about how how awesome everything is, and he gives big ups, shout out to the man up there, without the Lord I couldn't have done none of this, for shizzle. And we laugh. A, that's just a man mixing the Lord and cuss words together at the same time and clothing him. And we laugh because, well, you know, at least, least D-O-double-G giving ups to God. God does not receive ups from the unjust. He said, I won't even listen to your prayer if you regard iniquity in your heart. God said that if we refuse to draw a line between right and wrong, there will be a curse placed on us. God said, if you call holy what he calls unholy, or if you call unholy what he calls holy, he will curse you and your generations. Look it up. See, that's not positive in today's church. I ain't never coming back here. They expect me to get rid of my, get, listen, do what you want to do. The scripture says that if you love the thing the world's offering you, if you love this world or the things it offers you, God's love's not in you. We need to get more concerned about elevating God than elevating the world. I love sports. You can't be around me and not know that. I grew up playing all sports. I need to love God more than I love sports. People have Super Bowl parties. Even when teams they don't care about are playing. My house. We're going to do ribs. We're going to have wings. We're going to have crab. Just come on out. Throw a big party. Why? Because the world told us on Super Bowl Sunday we're supposed to party. We'll tailgate. Florida Georgia game. We're going to tailgate. We're going to show up three hours early. Man, we're going to set up on the tailgate. We're going to be throwing some burgers down. We're going to have some cold drinks. We're just going to hang out, laugh, and have fun. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen anybody tailgating on Sunday morning at a church service? No? Anybody showing up three hours early for a church service? We just want to get there early and get, 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 our, get our, you know, our hype on. We do that for football games. We'll do it for church. Why? Because we love the world. We value that. We exalt it. We elevate it. And here sits God on the highest throne looking for worship while we're magnifying celebrity, while we're exalting things of the world, and we're leaving him out. This passage of Scripture inside this text, God 
shows us four things that we must do if we want to live out the will of God. Number one, we got to keep in mind the rich mercy of God. Keep in mind what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. And then try to brag on Madonna. Oh, but Madonna's my girl. Well, when does Jesus get to be your God? How can we exalt these celebrities? If, if you want to put it to a test, I, I, I don't need no extra email. I have over 40,000 unanswered emails in my outlook right now. But if you want to put it to the test, email me your favorite secular celebrity. I'll, I'll take five minutes out of my day, and I will look up the lyrics to their songs, and I'll shoot it back to you, and we'll see who's right and who's wrong. We got to keep in mind what God has done for us. We got so much in our mind about the world. We got so much in our mind about what we like about different things in the world. We got to keep in our mind all the mercy that God has shown us. Number two, as an, as an act of intelligent worship, we need to decide to yield our entire self to Him, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because of what He's done for us, we need to get to the place where we willfully say, I'll live and I'll die for Him. I will live and I will die for him. I will die every day for him. See, that's what a living sacrifice is in the process of doing. It's always dying, but it never is completely dead. It's always dying, but it's never completely dead. That's the life of the believer. Jesus said, you got to die to yourself. Paul said, I die every day. I die a little bit every day. Part of me dies off every day. The old me is dying so that the new me can shine forth. God is in us. But when we clothe ourselves with the world and we cover ourselves with the sin and the stink of humanity, He cannot shine through us. And we got to present our bodies every day as a living sacrifice to Him. Third, we got to resist conformity to the thoughts and actions of the world. Do not be conformed. Make it up in your mind. I'm not going to let this world shape how I think. I'm not going to hate people because of the color of their skin. I'm not going to hate people because of their political persuasion. I'm not going to hate people because of the way they think, the way they look, the way they act, the way they dress, because God told me to love them. Stop letting the world wind you up and Satan laugh as we run around fighting each other over stuff that doesn't matter. Whoever wins this next presidential election, I can promise you, is not going to bring Jesus to the masses. That's not their agenda. But that's supposed to be our agenda. Jesus is supposed to be our everything. But if we continue to be conformed to the world, we'll talk more about politics than we do about God. We'll talk more about sports than we do about God. We'll talk more about celebrities than we do about God. We'll talk more about TV shows and movies than we do about God. church needs to get right with God. Last thing this text tells us that we need to do is by focusing on God's Word and fellowship with Him, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can change the way we think if we get in the Word. If you will open the Bible and say, I'm going to choose to believe what this book says, it'll start to change the way you think. It'll start to change the way you think. God will begin to speak to you. Well, Pastor, I've never heard God speak to me. Get in the book. Start investing in your spirituality. Listen, you don't have to invest an hour every day in television. You don't have to invest an hour every day on the Internet. You don't have to spend Listen, I, I promise you this right now. If I've ever said anything true in my entire life, this is it for sure. 
Facebook was put on this planet by the devil to distract Christians from studying the Word. Y'all don't have to agree with me. I know I'm telling the truth. All social media was put on this planet by the devil to distract people from doing what God has called them to do. I'm not saying don't use it. I use it. I use it as a means to promote my external businesses outside the church. I use it as a means to keep up with people. I use it as a means to talk to people about God. And yes, I use it as a means to waste time and feed my flesh. And I need to put that on the altar and let God burn that up. Well, Pastor, everybody's on Facebook. You realize right now by the, even the most conservative account, over one-third of the entire world spends over 45 minutes a day on Facebook? 2.2 billion people. 20 thing about that is, you know what they estimate how many Christians there are in the world? What did I just say for Facebook? Y'all remember Chuck Woolery? Y'all don't remember Chuck Woolery. 2.2 billion Christians. 2.2 billion Facebook users spending 45 minutes a day or more on Facebook. There's only 2.2 billion Christians in the whole world. You think all 2.2 billion of those are spending 45 minutes a day or more in the Bible? Well, you know you. We probably already X that out. I mean, <laughs> let's just be honest. The only way that we are going to change the way we think is by getting in that book, focusing on God's Word, and spending time alone with Him. Well, I don't like to be alone. I like to be out with people. That's what's wrong with you. You're allowing the devil to take you anywhere you can go to keep you off your knees. Jesus Christ, we call ourselves Christian. Jesus spent time alone with the Father. Jesus pushed away from everybody else so he could spend time alone with the Father. I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you to do that this week. I want to ask you to consider this week making more of God than you make of the world. This week, make more of God than you make of people. This week, make more of God than you make of yourself. This week, ask God to change the way you think. This is the reason why most people who ever truly got saved tell me consistently, Pastor, I just wish I could get back the way I felt when I first got saved. This is what God meant when Jesus told the church in the book of the Revelation that I have something against you. You've left your first love. See, as new believer, your first love was that total dependence you had on God. You woke up thinking about Him. You went to bed thinking about Him. The sky was bluer because of Jesus. You just annoyed everybody around you. The birds sounded prettier because of Jesus. The mountains were more glorious because of Jesus. The, the Bible was just fresh in your mind. God was fresh in your mouth. The, the hymns were on your heart. Music, you were just loving. You were wrapped up. God was changing the way you think because you were putting God in, God in, God in, God in. And your mind is like a supercomputer. The only thing that can come out of a computer is what you put in it. Computers don't yet think. Not that we know of. They got something. Tell you all about that later. Computers only push out what we put into them. Well, how does Siri know how hot it is in Charlotte? Well, because somebody told Siri how hot it was in Charlotte. How do you know what you know? Because somebody put something in your mind that told you that. How are we going to get to where God wants us to be? Changing the way we think. 
Letting our mind be reshaped. Why does it have to be reshaped? Because it's shaped wrong. Why is it shaped wrong? Because we've spent our whole lives letting the world impact us. And that's why most, if not every person in this room, could name more celebrities than saints. Most, if not every person in this room, could quote more verses to songs than verses of Scripture. Most, if not every person in this room, can talk more about musicians that they love that died than they can talk about the martyrs of the early church. We've been duped. We've been sucked in. We've been bamboozled. We've been conned by a system that made itself look appealing to us, and it drew us in. Ooh, did you see American Idol? Oh, did you check out Survivor? Oh, did you see the latest episode? When's the last time you ever had a single person come up to you and say, man, have you read Jeremiah lately? Because boom, it is banging. You don't hear that. It's not for everybody. I get it. It's not for everybody. Everybody doesn't want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Listen, and if you're not there, please keep pursuing God. Get to the place where he is your all in all. Get to the place where he's your everything. Get to the place where he means more to you than anything else. I wish you'd make that choice early in life. Because for some people, they got to get to the end of their rope and the bottom of their barrel before they look up. It doesn't have to be you. You can look up now. You can look up now. I'm not going to take the time to have an altar call. But if I did, I wish we'd spend hours on this altar. Repenting of making the world big and God small. I'm not going to have an altar call, but if I did, I wish we'd spend hours on this altar crying tears of shame for the things that we've promoted above the things of God. Listen, whatever it is, music, entertainment, sports, hunting, fishing, hobbies, friends, nothing should be more important to Christians than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, if I will glorify anything, let it be the cross. If I will lift up and make much of anything, let it be my Christ. Pastor, that's just old school. We can't live like that in 2016. We better. We better. Because one day we're going to have to stand before a holy God. And we're going to have to answer for our lives. And he's looking for us to be that sacrifice so that the world can see there still are people in America in 2016 that are serious about salvation, serious about this book, and serious about God. My last question to you is, are you one of them? Are you willing to let God change the way you think? so you can be a sacrifice that pleases him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving your son to us. Thank you for the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love you more, 
Help us to love you more than our worldly heroes. Help us to love you more than athletes and celebrities. Help us to love you more than entertainment. Help us to love you more than feeding our flesh. Help us to love you more than the lies that we bought into, believing that the world would bring us joy. God, you've promised that you're the God of all comfort. I pray that you would comfort us with your things, that we would not seek comfort from any other. Because you alone are worthy. You alone are God. And we give you honor and we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.